0: It is Matt Mosley. Thank you, Central National Bank. Thank you for what you do. And uh, thank you for being one of the top commercial banks in the state of Texas. And uh, just the uh, creme de la creme of of society and just uh, unbelievable uh, uh, folks who have uh, worked for this country for generations, both in Washington, D.C. and elsewhere Uh, that families that own the bank. Unbelievable. Now, this guy also, creme de la creme, uh, a SMU graduate and a man who's getting ready to go on vacation. But Kevin, this is... uh, Kevin Long was joining us from Rivals.com. I mean, it's enough of a story for you that Baylor continues to do really well in recruiting. But lo and behold, last week, USC and UCLA up and leave the Pac-12, and we've been thrown into realignment chaos again. Now, story today out there, Dennis Dodd, that the Big 12 is talking to members of the Pac-12. Now, what, Kevin, you always have great thoughts on these things. What does your gut tell you right now that the Big 12 will be willing to expand quickly, or do you think they'll end up standing pat with the uh, new schools that will arrive in 2023?
1: Well, I think it'll depend on Matt is what kind of further discussions or reports kind of leak out during the course of the week. If it becomes more serious that these discussions have become more and more intense, uh, then yeah, I think you could see it. I mean, look, look at the way the, the big 12 responded last year and the lessons that it took from the Texas and Oklahoma departures and how proactive they were. Because what Texas we found out that Texas and Oklahoma were leaving right about late July of last year. And then the Big Twelve had their four new members announced by what was it, middle of September or something like that? Does that sound about right? Early October or whatever it was. I remember when you and I were at the presser when Bob Bowlesby and Mac Rhodes were there at Baylor talking about this. I wanna say it was like late September. But having yeah. said all that, I think you could See a time frame like this, but let this week kind of flush out a little bit more in terms of what reports are out there. As for the schools, of course, you've got Arizona, Arizona State, uh, and then Washington. Excuse me, uh, Colorado and Utah, which makes sense. Obviously, Colorado was a former Big Twelve member, and you get the Denver market back potentially, and you have a chance to get into Phoenix and get those two Arizona schools out of there. Which, by the way, people might forget that Arizona and Arizona State. Were the last members of the uh, Pac-12 edition until uh, you had col- until you had uh, Colorado and, jo- and uh, Utah join, but I think you, you start with those four and you get from your regional base. Does it offer you a ton of markets? Not really. I think it would all depend on how much you want to approach Oregon and Washington in this. And if you do, and if it's, and I'm sure Oregon and Washington will kind of watch this from afar and say. If they get these four, the Arizona schools, Utah, and Colorado, is that enough for us to want to make the move to join the Big 12? Or do we want to wait and see if the Big 10 really wants to go after, let's just say for what it is, the Seattle and Portland markets, and then we'll go from there? I will say this. If we see great movements so of that, these talks are getting serious to the point where dates are being thrown out about you know their possible membership and all that sort of thing. I think the Pac-12 is cooked, and it's a shame because, remember, the Pac-12 had made the announcement last year that they were going to San Pat in their uh, the way they were looking at the conference and the future of it, and they had BYU sitting right there, and BYU has a tremendous history of playing all those Pac-12 schools, and that just made it an open season for the Big 12 to get them. And now that the, the I think BYU opens the door for for the Big 12 to go get these schools and try and bring them on board.
0: Yeah, that's fascinating. BYU, uh, even though there's some hatred, that's the holy war between Utah and BYU. We know a lot of these schools, I mean, USC and UCLA in the end couldn't couldn't leave without each other. And they may love beating each other, but UT and OU are tied together. They knew they couldn't Mm -hmm. do it without the other. And so right. uh in some ways Utah and BYU to a little bit of a lesser extent you know have a similar relationship. I I really wish we could get the ACC has such a bad TV deal and their grant mm-hmm. of rights are are so tough, but when you really think about it, those would be more attractive additions. If you're going to if this is going to turn into the Wild West and suddenly the Big 12 has a little bit of leverage. I mean, I find it fascinating we thought the Big Twelve was dead, and then they had these four schools, and then now um, I, I think um, I think they're in the third position. Don't you? I mean? Would you agree with that? It's the uh, SEC, then the Big Ten, and now the Big Twelve. And I mean, it's just fascinating that they were sitting there looking like were they even going to be able to make a conference uh, only nine ten months ago, and and now they're in the I think the third position.
1: Yeah, everyone. It's kind of like the reality of it. Kind of like the uh, the gold medal, bronze uh, situation. I think the the Big Twelve understand that it, it can be happy as the uh, the bronze medal winner if you if you want to look at it like that. And yeah, they're in a position where because of the fact that they were proactive and brought those other schools on last year, who are inside of a year of joining July first of twenty twenty three, now they're in a position where they can start to deal from a position of strength. I mean, the Big Twelve is is postured better than the Pac twelve is. And look, Matt, every move that we've seen, whether you can even talk about Texas A&M and Missouri going back that far or Nebraska, what have all these conference realignments movements, what have they shown us? Everyone wants to go east. And, and true to form, USC and UCLA, does it make sense that the Big, 12, that the Big Ten is going to go into Los Angeles? Not really. I and mean, then the Rose Bowl is going to look a heck of a lot different over the, over the next couple of years when those two join in two years. But... You have the idea of where you had Oregon and Washington were wanting to go east. And I think that anyone that – and the reason – but I also – and the Big 12 is saying we're in a better position geographically than the Pac-12 is. The Pac-12 is kind of stuck because they're in this – they're more of a – they're kind of – because we've become more global, if you will, or national, probably the better word. But national to put these conferences together, these super conferences together – that the Pac-12 doesn't have anywhere else to go. And so if the Pac-12 looks at their their expansion ideas as potentially like a San Diego State or Fresno State or something like that, that's not going to help their case. It'll just keep them parked on the West Coast without trying to expand themselves to the East. And the furthest east they could go is maybe like Colorado State or anything else because that's not, but that's not going to be attractive enough for them to be a big player in future college athletics
0: I, I just have to laugh thinking about what you just said it used to be enough for us didn't it it used to be like right. Arkansas was far the far you know the longest uh, trip or going out to right. Lubbock or whatever we used to love the regional aspect of college football and now it's um, it's just I, I love reading back over the history you know they they almost formed and I'm sure you've read this story too back in the 19 what was this, 60s or 70s 70s? They almost mm-hmm. did, like, an airplane conference and, yeah. and, like, had, like, the service academies. And, I mean, it was, it was really going to be interesting. And this predated the uh, – uh, it was when the air travel started to get there, but it predated what became the Pac-12. It was whatever All the right. Pacific Coastal League was, and then it became the Pac-12. But they almost thought about doing something a little bit like this 40 or 50 years ago. Uh, because of travel and everything like this, I think what we've learned is, I mean, you know, people can say, oh, academics or this or that. But it's about maximizing your dollars. It's about right. getting the stability. And for, for a school like Texas, it's about the prestige. It it, mm-hmm. it For a while, it loved being the big fish in a small pond. And at some point, I just don't think you could live with that anymore. It, you know, it's like we, we got to go. Even though now, of course, they're going to be a big fish in a huge pond, you know, and so they will be a smaller fish by the very virtue of of what this thing will look like. So I don't you know, they they may live to regret it, but their egos won't because in their egos tell them we have to be the biggest, baddest in the land at all times. And that's Mm -hmm. why they had to make this move other than the money and the money always, of course, drives everything.
1: Well, the other thing I will say, too, is let's just go back to this, you know, where how this impacts Baylor, because let's just say for the sake of discussion, you bring those four schools, the Arizona schools, Utah and Colorado. I don't think that impacts Baylor in its pursuit of trying to be one of the alpha programs in the conference. I mean, Utah probably could have make an argument because of what it's done in, over the years, of course, uh, that sort of thing, having some great success over uh, under Kyle Whittingham. But the Arizona schools have been okay, nothing extraordinary. Colorado's been down the last several years, minus a bowl game here and there. But I don't think it impacts Baylor in terms of what it wants to try and do and what it aspires to be. It strengthens it. I think what would also help is the fact that, you know, because of where Baylor is positioned geographically in this new conference, I think it absolutely strengthens them from that standpoint because they're kind of like, well, hard of Texas, but, I mean, they're right in the middle of, how this new league could look. It already, they already kind of look, are looking at that right now, and so nothing changes as far as I'm concerned as how Baylor views itself getting these four teams if that these four schools if that's what happens.
0: Yeah, it's interesting that Baylor is really trying to become um, what Oregon became. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. a team that's somewhat on the fringe. But that, that that shows up at the big dance every now and then, and uh, great and example. Obviously, yeah, yeah. So I and I even I, earlier I used that example. Even thinking about the uniforms, uh, Oregon mm-hmm. was the first to have the flashy, crazy, uh, fluorescent uniforms. Baylor went down that path. So I think I think yeah. Oregon has always been a team that Baylor. Now maybe more during the Bryles era. I don't quite. I think Aranda wakes up every day thinking about can we get some of these metallic helmets that pop a little bit more <laughs> on TV? Uh, that doesn't really right. fit his persona as or much as the flat
1: black helmets too. And
0: yeah, so, <laughs> they don't. Yeah. I don't think they're thinking about that. Uh, last thing I had for you, uh, Kev, we got the Mitch Thompson coming on next. By the way, uh, new Baylor baseball there you coach, go. So, uh, but I I did want you to sound off on these last couple of recruits since we talked. This uh, Robinson, Isaiah Robinson, Arlington Lamar, I loved what you wrote about him in the, uh, the fact that he's a well-rounded guy, loves uh, theater, and, and you even mentioned Hooper Schaefer brought back some memories for me. I, I used to stop by that building from time to time, not to, uh, not to be in any plays. Our fraternity met over there. But it was, uh, it, it brought back some good memories thinking about that. Uh, I understand, Kevin, put this in perspective for me. Somebody suggested that this might have been one of the highest rated offensive linemen Baylor's ever landed. Does that, is that an accurate statement? And it, I'm sure that's kind of hard to quantify, but is that, oh, is that somewhat accurate? Yeah, uh,
1: I mean it's one of them. I mean, I mean, J.P. Urquides was a was a Rivals two hundred and fifty kid back in twenty sixteen. I guess if you if if you want to count that because of what you know where he was at uh, before he decommitted and was let go and all that stuff, um, you know, Blake Blackmar, I think he was a was a three star as well if memory serves. Um, that, that's what. But yeah, this is one of the highest offensive line. I, I won't say he's the highest rated because he's not on our. 250 there but i'm going to say that you know this is it it was a great pickup for them to get somebody like this um because of his you know it it came down to really between them and cal uh, you know he he did have a a pretty robust offer list but i think he was a little bit more uh more it really came down to the bears and the bears actually (laughs) and uh I, i think he really liked waco and it was more of his speed by the way, before I get into that further, I was thinking of uh, I was trying to remember. Spencer Drangle was, was rated higher way back in the day of two thousand eleven. Uh, just yeah. for perspective on that. Uh, but anyway, he's a great offensive. He's a great offensive tackle. I think Baylor feels really good about the way this all came down. And I think what, spir- what spurred what it for him uh, for Isaiah Robinson was when he visited at that visited with the theater arts program, met with a couple of the professors, talked about what his opportunities would be there. And because he, he could flat out sing, I've not I've never heard him sing before, but I know that it's it's a great passion of his. He's on the show he was on the show choir uh, show choir for Lamar High School over in Arlington, was traveling quite a bit during the spring too, and so it's a passion of his. And I think the one thing that Baylor always wants to make sure is if football is football. But when they talk about person over player, so the mantra that you've heard me say before, and you've heard it before too, Matt is you want to give all of your athletes the opportunity to pursue their dreams outside of the football field. And if he was pretty comfortable with with what Baylor had to offer from a fine arts program, then Robinson did what he was supposed to do. And, of course, now he can dazzle everybody on two stages, as I mentioned in the story. He can do it at McLean Stadium. Of course, he can do it uh, (laughs) uh, on the the stage over at Baylor, too, in the performing arts. I, I would love to watch him perform at some point when he gets on campus next year.
0: I'm going to go over to Arlington, Lamar. Watch a uh, on-campus performance. See, I, I bet the man. Even though he's a huge uh, uh, youngster, I bet he's light on his feet. Got some good feet, good agility, and uh, can dance around the stage. Excited to see him. Kevin, always yeah. exciting. Let me know when you're going to be on the beach. Always love to call you when you're out there by no, the water. I'm not. Um, I'm not doing so, that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Already got your book. Appreciate you, buddy. I'll talk to you soon.
1: Thanks, Matt. Take care.
0: Bye bye. All right, Kevin Longquist.